today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I want to continue and follow up on the discussion we had with Chief Eric Gert just a little while ago about this community review report commissioned by police with some, well, some incongruous uh, statistics on this. And, and as we talked about just a little while ago, I guess the uh, the gist of it here is that more than two-thirds of sexual assault cases that Hamilton police said were unfounded really weren't. That's according to this new report. Uh, and uh, it goes into a great deal about this, uh, about exactly how these numbers are, uh, are reached and uh, and the impact that this is having. Uh, I want to bring uh, Lenore Lukasik-Foss, the director of SASHA, the Sexual Assault Center for Hamilton here, uh, into uh, the discussion and uh, try to get some perspective on this. Lenore, thank you so much for being with us today. It's really appreciated. Oh, it's my pleasure, Bill. Thanks for having me on. This has been an ongoing concern since that Globe and Mail story came out. I guess it was a couple of years ago right now about the methodology for reporting and maybe even the methodology that's used once uh, once uh, somebody comes forward as a victim. Talk to us about your experience putting this thing together on this committee. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I want to actually just correct one fact there, Bill, that the issue of unfounded is something that Sexual assault centers have been concerned long before the story broke in the Globe and Mail. What what the Globe and Mail story did is sort of give it national recognition and yeah. kind of uh, hopefully get things moving. But we've for years we've been very very concerned about the number of of survivors who do come forward who who don't end up having charges laid in their situations, which is essentially what this unfounded concern is. And so um, I was really really uh, very honored to be a part of this sort of community review team that sat down and and took a random sample of these unfounded cases and reviewed them, very thoroughly reviewed them to sort of figure out what what went wrong, was this coded correctly, were there any trends or patterns in what we were seeing, and then created this report. Well, and and that's the thing I think that jumps out, and and I know that they're going to, as we mentioned earlier, we're going to discuss this at the police services board meeting on Thursday. Mm-hmm. But but you had your results here, and then the police review, which was done, uh, has almost it's a mirror image of this, uh, just total yeah. opposite. How yeah. do you how do you rationalize that? Yeah, so I think there's there's a few things that I can say about that. So uh, the first thing is that the police internal review that they reviewed, I think something like 700 cases, and they did a very um, sort of a, a, a one kind of a level of review, which was only just using uh, paper, like the, the, the well, not paper, on computer, but like the, the written reports, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Uh, and we went much deeper. We, had, we, did, we did a random sample of uh, 63 files. Uh, I say files, but they were people. And that's imp- really important to remember about, about situations that, ca- that, that were brought forward to the police. And and we looked at uh, every scrap of paper um, related that we could find, and then video. So we were watching um, uh, evidence, uh, like the witness statements, uh, accused statements, if they had them on tape. Um, and so we we did a very thorough review, and and it did also include so it, in, it included community people, but it also included uh, police and uh, crown. And so ours was a little bit different. And we had a, a, a lot more ability to go deeper, and that's where we did find more. And I think that's part of the reason that we have a different perspective than the internal review that was just police, but also because when you bring in the community, we have a different set of eyes and a different lens that we're looking at these things and, and a greater awareness of, of dealing with victims of sexual assault because, you know, that's all we do in, our, in, in my case in, in Sexual Assault Centre. Well, and there's a couple of things that that's, are talked about here in the report that I, I think we need to put on the table here. 
Uh, and 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 I, I talked to the chief about this just the last hour, Lenore. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that I think concerned an awful lot of people, and you and I have had this discussion in the past, before, is is when somebody does come forward, is when a victim comes forward like this and and engages police. Uh, oftentimes they feel as if they're being interrogated, as if yeah. they're the perpetrator, not the victim. Yeah. And yeah. and that that goes to attitude, I guess, and style to a certain extent. But uh, I, I guess what we asked the chief, and, and he, I think, quite understood, is put yourself in the position of that person sitting in that chair yeah. uh, and, and how they feel having come forward and having to do this and relive this all over again. And, and, and again, obviously that has, a, 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 I think, a huge bearing on how these investigations turn out. Oh, absolutely. And, and that is something that we did see. Uh, not in all cases, but in, in, in way too many cases that we reviewed where um, they were the, the detectives was using interrogation techni- techniques that were more appropriate for an accused, not someone who's coming forward, a, a victim, uh, to report. And, and some of that, what we understand, um, is, is a little bit about how they are trained. And that, that uh, so I think we also have questions for how Ontario Police College is training detectives around sexual assault uh, are they, are, is that something that's being challenged? Are they uh, learning appropriate techniques? Because what we were hearing from our police colleagues is that a lot of the stuff they are, are trained to do, and it's, it's not based on fact or evidence on how we can do a good investigation for sexual assault complainants. Well, and, and I know one of the bullet points here in the report talks about officers relying too heavily on stories being corroborated. Yeah. Uh, and I know you can't get into specifics about that, but again, that, that goes to the old idea too that, well, what do you mean you couldn't remember what color the car was? That sort of thing. Exactly. And we know, but, but we know more about that now. We know about memory mm-hmm. loss and how, how the brain responds to traumatic situations. Yes, we absolutely do. And I think, unfortunately, um, you know, the police, like any other part of our community, uh, you know, buys into some of these incorrect information or or what we call rape myths about about what how victims react, how how their memory will, how they will be able to recall those situations, um, what kind of things like you know how what the role of alcohol is in these situations, and so you know. But the the difference is is that the police we have to have a higher standard, so there has to be more work on on ensuring that they're not relying on incorrect information or old you know, information about how our brains work, about how memory works, so that, you know, if a victim is not able to recall particular details, you know, for example, the color of a car, but that doesn't mean that they are, that what they're describing in terms of the sexual assault is not true. We Sadly, we've seen living examples of this all the time because of some of the high-profile cases that have come forward, whether it's the Kavanaugh hearings or, or others. And, and that's one of the other bullet points, relevant witnesses who were not interviewed. And we saw that yeah. in that FBI investigation where I think they only in, in, interrogated or asked four, I think, of the 25 people that were suggested mm-hmm. as, as mm-hmm. possible witnesses. I, yeah. I, it really comes down to the person who, the victim in situations like this, Lenore, wants to be believed. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that doesn't always happen. And, and I, that's... I, I can't put myself in that position, but I mean, it's got to be such a frustrating and, and, and harrowing experience to have to go through this and say, I don't think they believe me. It's, it is absolutely horrible, and, and certainly I can speak from someone who was a part of the community review team, but also as someone who works at the Sexual Assault Centre, and there were many victims who we supported through this process, who who then afterwards were left with them trying to pick up the pieces and and figure out what the heck happened here what what didn't happen and and so many of the the victims after the fact who we've had contact with are just 
uh, further traumatized. And, and, and really, you know, if, if we talked about, you know, do you want us to, to try to talk up to the police? Do you want to make a complaint? They were not interested. They were just so done. And that makes sense that they came forward with the hope of, of some kind of justice happening. And that looks different for different people. You know, not all of them wanted charges or wanted the person put in jail, but they wanted some kind of justice to happen. And I think that when they walked away and essentially were being told, we don't believe you, we don't believe what happened, that that's very damaging. You talk also about the reliance on rape myths. Let's, let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that can include a variety of things. So that that can include about sort of the misunderstanding about how uh, a victim will react when they're retelling. So, for example, if someone is too calm, well, did that really happen? Why is she so calm? Or if they're too upset, well, is she? Why is she so upset? So that this idea that that there's no quote unquote normal way for a victim to respond. Uh, wasn't always well understood and and you know that that sometimes you know there'll be cases where a victim will will be in contact by text or respond or connect with the perpetrator afterwards well we saw that that is not an unusual thing that that a, a victim may be trying to sort out what's going on try to see where that other person was at maybe really in shock still and that having contact with the person after the fact doesn't mean that they didn't assault you. Or, if, for example, if you were in a relationship with that person and you consented to certain activity but not other activity, that's still that's that's sexual assault. You you know if you don't say yes, and if you say you know if if, if you're not into what's happening after that, that that's not okay. And so I think just not having a full picture or or not understanding, for example, that young people are at really high risk. Um, and and really not recognizing the way young people might present around being sexually assaulted. So I think it's it's yeah. Unfortunately, they were there were a lot of rape myths that came in to some of the investigations that we reviewed. You know, I was just thinking back as I was going over the uh, the highlights of this report uh, this morning uh, in preparation for the show of, of the Cosby case and and the day that he was actually sentenced. And uh, and the, the 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 victim came forward. Remember, she had a little media scrum outside the courtroom. And she made a specific point of of, of thanking the, the investigating officer, who yeah. said, "Believe me," and would not give up uh, because obviously there were a number of times where they could have said, "Well, we've done all we could," yeah. and and this gentleman whose name escapes me right now, uh, yeah, I guess was just dogged in his determination to yeah. to make sure that he interviewed everybody that needed to be interviewed, turned over every rock. Yeah. Uh, and you want to think that that happens all the time, but I mean, uh, and I know you talk about this in the report. This comes also down to to staffing levels and yeah, and and absolutely. resources. Yes, absolutely, and I think I think it's really important to, to mention, Bill, that there are uh, there have been we work with survivors who have been thrilled with the support they received from their detective, um, and and through their their case, and even if it didn't result in a conviction, just that, like you said, that dogged determination, that support, having someone uh, who is an official within that that criminal system saying, "I believe you." I'm going to fight with you here. That's massive. And so we certainly work with survivors. I don't want folks out there to, to believe that there aren't, you know, there are many, many good officers doing excellent work out there. But what we see all too often, though, is officers who are overworked as well. The, the detectives, they have uh, seen an increase in people coming forward, which is what we want. Uh, for those who want to access the system, we want to make sure that they can come forward. And that there weren't, there aren't enough resources for those officers. And then they're overworked, and they they're not able to follow up on all the leads. They're not able to. They're not collecting all the evidence that needs to be collected. Doing all the interviews, and you know these kinds of uh, investigations are very complex. 
and they require a lot of resources and they and we we just weren't seeing that those resources were given to the detectives or being taken. Well, the numbers uh, and again this is included in the report, uh the sexual assault unit for Hamilton Police Services comprised of seven officers handling an average of 90 cases each per year. Yeah, that's unacceptable. That's uh, just it's not acceptable. Uh, to, to go back to my analogy of turning over every rock, you don't have time. No. No, you absolutely don't. So even even if you do you know, uh, you know. I think it's human nature. You, you know, you, in order to cope with the situation, you just kind of look at the situation and think, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess this, this, and this," and then you move on. Like you can't, if you can't do anything, literally, because you don't have the resources, it just becomes easier to sort of try to cope by maybe not fully looking at all the angles in the situation. What's the, what's the takeaway going to be here? I mean, you know, obviously, we've seen some of the shortcomings. Uh, and things that need to be addressed, and training is always going to be part of that. We get that, and resources are going to be a part of that, and yeah. overworked officers are going to be a part of this. Attitude has to be a part of this too. Oh, H- how do you change this paradigm? Yeah, I think I think you know uh, for sure all of what you said is important, Bill. But for me, you know, training is not useful unless there is support for officers to implement the things they've learned, and then you know the the officers who are overseeing them, that they have enough time and resources to really supervise and support the officers doing the job. And so they're rewarding and praising the officers who are demonstrating the correct attitudes, who are unlearning the rapists, who are dealing well with victims. We should be ensuring that those uh, excellent members of our, our Hamilton Police Services are getting, those are the ones who are getting the promotions, those are the, so that you're setting a culture that really centers around victims and that centers around understanding um, the way sexual violence survivors report and, and how they present to police. And that when the when there are officers who are not demonstrating that behavior, that they're being told very clearly, hey, this doesn't fly here. That's not what our culture is here. So I think training is key, but having that those tools and supports and resources within that police community that says, hey, this is what we value when we put our money where our mouth is with resources, and we also hire and promote people with these values, that's, that's how we're going to see this, this ship turn. Well, uh, even the composition of the community review team, I think, is a good first step, bringing everybody together, police yeah. services and community members such as yourself yeah. and, and the others that were on this panel. Uh, and, and obviously, your, your work is not done here, but this, is a, this report is a great first step. But to have that ongoing dialogue, it has to be important. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing, and I I do I do want to say another shout out that you know um, I'm in t- I'm in touch with many communities uh, across Ontario who are doing reviews, and our local police service is something for us to be very proud about that they were incredibly open and transparent. So we had full access to all the files, to the videos, and that did not happen in that did not happen in many communities across Ontario, and that we had uh, open officers, like our detectives that we were working with and our other police representative were open and, and really wanting to learn and work together. And you can imagine how uncomfortable it is when, you know, you're basically opening up your, you know, your dirty cupboard and saying, hey, take, come take a look. And it can be very hard to have to have your work criticized. Uh, and and to point out where where there's opportunities for learning, and they were very open, and so I think that spirit is really going to be what makes things better for survivors. I'm really hoping we can carry that forward and keep that pressure up, because their victims in our community deserve so much more. The men and women out there who are survivors deserve 
excellent service, and they, they unfortunately, are not always getting it. Lenore Lacassic-Foss uh, from SASHA, the Sexual Assault Center. As always, thanks so much, Lenore. We appreciate you your so great work much, and your time today. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.